Welcome, welcome, friends, to a, another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Uh, today, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. It's not very often uh, for those that, 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 that follow the show on a regular basis. Uh, many know that uh, Father Christian Anderson brings on a ton of guests um, all, throughout, uh, all throughout the country uh, on a national and international level. But, uh, uh, you know, those very rare times that I'm able to do it, um, uh, especially today, it gives me great pleasure to welcome uh, to our program Rabbi, Rabbi Debbie Young Summers, who comes uh, to us out of uh, London, out of England and the United Kingdom. Um, and today we're going to we're going to we're going to kind of talk about, you know, um, um, cultural differences uh, across the pond. What does it mean um, in uh, to serve in a congregation uh, amidst a, a, a international uh, a pandemic? Um, how do we issue uh, and, and discuss the challenges of racism and anti-Semitism and the challenges that are in our communities and uh, in, in, in our environment? Um, and, and largely, what, what, what hope can we give? Um, so it's, it's Debbie, I'm, great. I'm, I'm grateful that you're here to join us and we're, uh, we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to it. So in just a few seconds, join us for a priest no priest, a rabbi, a rabbi over the pond discussing interfaith issues, challenges, and passion. this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Payam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Good morning, Stuart, Florida. It is uh, a, a rabbi this morning, um, sans priest, without a priest, uh, for Father Anderson is, uh, is uh, taking a little bit of time off to kind of recharge after uh, quite a crazy uh, few months, not only welcoming, as you know, with many of our listeners, um, a, a, a beautiful and healthy baby boy. Uh, to which we wish him and Anastasia um, uh, just much success and much joy. Uh, but today, uh, I have with me um, uh, someone that I, 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 I'm really, really, really thrilled and, and, and just such a pleasure to have on uh, the show. Um, it now means that our show is now international. No, what does that mean? Uh, you know, we are in whatever it may be, 57 countries. We're all over the world. Uh, but we've never actually tackled on having a guest uh, join us overseas, and uh, it is my great pleasure this morning uh, to welcome to a priest and a rabbi, uh, Rabbi Debbie Young Summers, who um, um, is a rabbi in the United Kingdom. She is a rabbi in London. Um, Debbie. Hi. Uh, good morning. Good morning. 
So um, just to give a little bit of background to, uh, to Rabbi Deb, um, Debbie joined the team of Edgeware and Hendon Reform Synagogue in London in April in the midst and right in the heart of the UK's lockdown. Uh, she lectures in interfaith encounter at Leovec College, which trains rabbis, um, and also uh, Jewish Christian relations at Queen's Ecumenical Foundation training Anglican Methodist, and Pentecostal clergy. She has published in variety and various books and journals on interfaith relationships and creative ritual and is a regular, uh, a regular contributee to uh, broadcasts on the BBC, uh, both local and national radio. Uh, so Debbie, wow, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let me give you a little bit of background uh, to the relationship that Debbie and I share. Uh, Debbie and I were in rabbinical school together. Uh, Debbie was a, a year below me. Um, but there are certain things that um, uh, uh, really impressed me about, uh, about you, um, Deb. Is, uh, um, I don't know if you remember, but many years ago, uh, you and I took a trip. It took about 25 English kids uh, to Amsterdam. Gosh, yes. We met up. We <laughs> met up with about twenty-five uh, um, uh, Dutch and uh, uh, other kids, and kind of had like a big, massive conclave over the weekend, sharing on the border of Belgium and uh, and Holland, uh, and just having an amazing time. And, and and really, that's 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 when I really got to know you and really was impressed by you. Um, one that of the was things hard work that weekend. <laughs> it was a lot of hard work um, trying to steer those kids away from the red light district. Um, <laughs> And other 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 uh, cafes, um, but you know one of the things that really impressed me, um, and and I will say, and and this is kind of a, a, a full disclosure to all of our listeners, and if Father Anderson is listening, is um, part of my passion of um, my passion of interfaith dialogue and the need to really discuss and uh, learn and develop from other faith groups uh, really came from from you, from Debbie. Um, and that, and that was just, you know, hearing about your love and your passion, um, being on the, uh, you know, on the Council of Christians and Jews and, you know, just being really active. And, and, and it was just something that really opened my eyes. Um, and it was just an amazing, amazing experience to be able to, to interact with you and to see uh, your passion. So Debbie, It's so fantastic to hear that because I think we, all of us do so much in the world and you never really know where it goes or what impact it has. So to hear from a, a colleague that, that that's had that impact is, is really humbling. Thank you. Oh, pleasure. So Deb, let, let, let's, let's break it down. Um, I, I know some of our listeners are, are really interested to know, um, you know, where are you located? Um, you know, what was, what is, why your passion for interfaith dialogue and, you know, and then we'll tackle the bigger issue, too, of, you know, what's the culture like and, and what's the feeling in the UK right now? And, um, you know, the relationship between Christians, Jews and Muslims and, you know, what does that look like? What does that look like for you? So I grew up just outside London um, in a small English village that was quite a quiet village when we moved there in about 1983. Um, and I think my parents picked it partly because 
it was accessible to the Jewish community. We weren't too far away, but it wasn't a very Jewish area. It was a nice, quiet English village. Um, and they wanted a bit of both. And ironically, within 20 years, it became literally the most statistically Jewish village in the country. Um, so that was funny. But um, it was very, very normal for me growing up to... Um, be around lots and lots of non-Jews. My parents were very involved in Jewish Christian dialogue. Um, I thought it was a religious requirement to have a Christian at your Seder, um, your Passover meal. Turns out it's it's not, but um, it really enhanced um, our Seder because um, it, it opens up another level of conversation. Um, at school, I, I've tended to gravitate towards um, really diverse groups of friends. I think my best friends at secondary school were um, a, a Jehovah's Witness, a Hare Krishna, uh, a Catholic, a lapsed Anglican and an atheist. Mm. Um, and I mean, there were plenty of Jews in my school, but um, those were the people I, I geared towards. And I think when I went off to university, I went to um, be from a, what was then a very Jewish area. I went to a university where there were sort of 10 people who would stand up and say they were Jewish. And I discovered that around the UK, there are people who have never met Jews. And I think that's less common in America. But, um, you know, in the UK, we there are 280,000 of us. We're literally less than half a percent of the population. Mm. Um, and we tend to be clustered in London, Manchester, uh, Leeds, Birmingham. So, you know, all over the country, people haven't met Jews. And that experience of being the first Jew people ever met was really formative for my Judaism, as well as for understanding the importance of dialogue and of knowing one another. Um, so I, I think for me, dialogue has always been a two way thing. It's been partly about helping the world around me understand Judaism and understand that we aren't horned creatures who are um you know drinking blood or anything mm. um and also discovering that in engaging in dialogue in in being in conversation with someone who's coming from a different perspective and we know this from jewish tradition too it helps you understand yourself it helps you express yourself it helps you sort of clarify what your faith is what your tradition is and what's meaningful to you so i think for me dialogue has made me the jew that i am oh wow wow and, 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 and Debbie, you know, I, 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 this obviously is a lifetime of culmination of coming together of, of interactions and conversations that you have, um, you know, with others, you know, what is the one, what is the one takeaway that you, that, that you gain and you get from a lot of these um, uh, encounters that you encounter with other people? Um, I mean, I think a lot of what I just said in sense of, um, you know, helping me refine who I am and, and what I really believe and testing my Judaism in a way, um, you know, can I really say certain prayers in the presence of the, the, the ears of the other, as it were, and actually, you know, being the other for, for somebody else in that process has been really powerful as well. Um, I think for me, the, my favorite moments are probably things like, um, you know, working at the Council for Christians and Jews, I organized um, a project where we redid the garden of a Salvation Army drop-in centre in King's Cross. Now, King's Cross is in the centre of London, less so now, but about 18 years ago when we did this, it was really the red light district of London. Mm. And um, we managed to um, redecorate this garden and then at the end of it we had a barbecue with the clients who used the center who were essentially prostitutes 
But wow. watching these young adults engage in that project, first of all, it was wonderful to see them doing something so um, sort of good for the world together. But actually, while they were busy doing, they were also having amazing conversations without having the formality of having to sort of sit down and engage in dialogue. They were getting to know each other, getting to appreciate each other. You could hear them talking about things like Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, which was out in the cinema that year. Um you know, starting to have those deeper conversations because they weren't worrying about the dialogue. It was just a natural thing that happened because they were doing something together. And I think having those common goals and understanding how we can work together to improve the world around us and then understand each other's humanity so that we can then have a conversation about difference is really important. I think I'm really keen that we do lots of nice stuff that brings us together and looks at the similarities, but that we don't pretend that we're all the same. I think it's really important to celebrate our differences, to appreciate our differences and to create a generation that can really live with difference and not be threatened by it. I think we yeah. see a lot of problems in the world because we are threatened by difference and we don't know how to um, sort of... Uh, disagree well we need a quality mm -hmm. of disagreement that's completely vanished from the world oh, wow and and you know i mean it's a different it's a different model here obviously in the united states that you know we you know we've never had religious freedoms taken away from us we've never had restrictions obviously look england and 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 a christian country um you know you, you mentioned that that obviously as jews we don't you know we don't eat blood uh obviously <laughs> referencing back to you know the blood libel which uh, uh for those that are not familiar uh originated in 1144 in uh lincoln in uh in the north um and then went through other various communities you know uh, given given the culture and the history of britain um, do you find um as an english rabbi as a british rabbi that there are much more challenges towards interfaith or that within the the the, the scope of of british society that uh, our co-religionists are are actually excited and 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 thrilled to try and learn about the other i mean i think there's no one simple answer that works for everybody one of the challenges is that there are so few jews in the uk so um there are different dialogues that happen all over the country depending on what the local makeup is and there are of course lots of areas that are very white anglican very little difference in the local village school and so there are lots of great projects from both the government and uh, interfaith charities to try and create partnerships for schools so that they can work with an inner city school and a village school so that you know the the diverse communities meet each other um because it is really when we don't know each other that we allow these stereotypes to grow mm -hmm. um i think for the jewish community a lot of people who sort of my generation and above who didn't go to jewish schools um we often felt growing up like we really knew christianity because we live in a christian country um and, you know, we had Christmas at school and we had the Lord's Prayer in assembly every morning at school. Um, I, I can recite the Lord's Prayer off by heart to this day. We would sing hymns. Um, there, there was only one hymn I ever refused to sing, which is Lord of the Dance. Um, but, um, you know, I think when you you can actually take for granted how much you think, you know, actually, when you engage in dialogue, you realize that. Christmas hymns and the Lord's Prayer are very much sort of the edge of trying to understand Christianity um, and, you know, really knowing what this stuff means to Christians or what, you know, the Hajj and the mosque and the Quran mean to a Muslim is very different to just 
reading it and studying it and mm. allowing those conversations to happen is really really important um but often in you know we're just yeah people who are excited about dialogue in the jewish community are often trying to explain judaism um mm. and we also need to, to listen and learn i think um but by the same token, you know, there's just not enough of us to go around. My mom hands my card out to every vicar that she's met. Um, and I've had to start discriminating because I can't be every vicar's rabbi. <laughs> it's just not enough of me. Hmm. Wow. Wow. And, 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 and when, when you engage with, with, with dialogue, I mean, how do you bring it back to your community? Um, so I think, for me, it's been a really important part of my rabbinate to make meaningful dialogue part of my community's life. So um, my very first pulpit in central London, um, we created a, um, a sort of teen dialogue program um, with a local, uh, actually it wasn't so local, but with a nearby um, uh Oh, what's the word supplementary school from a, a Muslim community um, and um, so our post bar and bat mitzvah teenagers together with this supplementary school they both studied their own faiths separately then they came together to learn about each other and then together they created a um a social action project um and that was an am amazing program i'm very proud of that um and i think again my my focus on that was creating teenagers who weren't stressed out or threatened by difference and part of that is knowing who you are understanding yourself so that you're not threatened by the other um and i'm hoping to bring something similar to uh, to my new community but obviously right now having started in the middle of a pandemic um is not the best time to start doing that but um I think also we, you know, our community do a huge amount of social action. We do, we're great at looking after our elderly congregations. You know, we had an amazing group within the community who were all friends who got together and started making meals for NHS workers during the lockdown. Fantastic social action stuff that goes on. Actually, a lot of that social action stuff we can share with local communities that can bring us together. Um, and we are very actively hoping to grow that part of the community's life. I, and I think it's particularly urgent at this point in history for us is in the UK, where we're situated in North London, 60% of our, if not more, of our young people go to Jewish day schools, which mm. means they're not meeting non-Jews at school and they don't have that experience of the other. So ironically, bringing them to synagogue to do that, I think, could be part of our raison d'etre. Well, well and, and I mean, I assume I assume within 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 within, uh, you know, the confines of Cheder and uh you know, uh, religious school, that, is there a component that you teach your kids about, you know, comparative religion or, um, you know, experiencing other religious denominations? In Haida, in religious school, not so much at this point, although we are we, we are building a program around Jewish diversity specifically. Um, I know in America you've had, um, you know, the Black Lives Matters protests. They've also been very present here. Um, and we're very conscious as a community that there's work to do within our community, not just saying, oh, well, this is something that's happening in general society. So we mm -hmm. are creating a program at Hader around Jewish diversity and the fact that Jews don't all look the same and aren't all the same. Um, mm -hmm. But um, I think this this interfaith part will really be part of the post bar and bat mitzvah program largely because the kids who tend to come to our religion school tend to be the kids who aren't at Jewish day schools. So um, they're having those encounters day to day. Um, and really it's about giving them the tools to, to understand their Judaism 
get them bar and bat mitzvah and then give them the tools to think about their Judaism in the wider world beyond that. Mm. So, so to go, to go back a little bit, just, you know, to, to, to kind of, you know, expose us to the culture and, 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 and the situation that, that now Britain is faced with, obviously you guys have, um, you, you have a, a national international pandemic of COVID-19. You guys are right in the midst of, you know, trying to figure out what Britain kind of looks like with Brexit and, you know, race relations that exist within the country. You know, what, 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 what is that? What does that look like? I mean, well, what is Britain today? We keep joking that we miss the days of when Brexit was the headline every day. <laughs> we, we want the Brexit problems back. We thought that was terrible. Um, so, I mean, I think pre-COVID, if you'd asked me that question, Brexit was top of the agenda. It was absolutely dividing society. Um, you know, even in the Jewish community, there isn't sort of one voice, although I would say the vast majority of the Jewish community are probably um, anti-Brexit. Um, but there's a, there is a big diversity. Um, and it's it's really been ripping the UK apart, literally. You know, Scotland is talking about devolving and, um, sorry, not devolving, actually breaking away from the United Kingdom. They are devolved. Um, so it's it's been very, very painful, actually. I really feel like we've been watching... Uh, the disintegration of of really the security and um, happiness of, of I suppose my my childhood in a way you know we've seen a, a huge spike in hate crimes whether that's anti-semitism anti-black anti-LGBT um, you know growing up I maybe experienced anti-semitism once or twice um, and you know I would never have said I thought we we needed to stop talking about anti-semitism it just wasn't even a, a thing. Um, and that's definitely not where we are today. Um, I think Brexit in and of itself, as with lots of nationalist movements around um, around the world, has really given permission to groups who feel it's OK to hate each other, to stand up and say that publicly and to, to act it out on the streets. Um, and that that is scary. Um, I think the pandemic has now completely wiped all that away. And scarily, I think, you know, people are just getting on with Brexit and we don't really know what's happening because we're so caught up in COVID-19. It's still happening. It's going to happen at the end of December. And we really don't know what it means or what it looks like. Um, You know, when I was 22, I had the privilege of going to Sweden for a year to study. My kids won't have that privilege. They can't just up and go to anywhere in in Europe to to do what they want. Um, And I do keenly feel that loss. Um, but I also think we have to acknowledge that for a lot of British society, they're not going to feel that loss because they never really were aware of the benefits of being in Europe. This was really a vote of the for some, it was a very clear intellectual choice. But for many, it was a, a protest vote of my voice hasn't been heard for years. I'm fed up. This is my protest vote. Get me out of Europe so that we might feel like we have a little bit more say and power from mm-hmm. people who really you know, don't travel to Europe, don't don't benefit from or don't understand how they benefit from it um and um you know it's it's been a very very divisive issue very divisive so um and we're just gonna take a quick break uh, and when we come back kind of delve a little bit deeper into you know a, a a society a culture that obviously is suffering is in pain and how do we as clergy how do we as concerned individuals uh, how do we how do we press forward? How do we, how do we communicate to our communities that, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the phrase, but you know, this too shall pass. And although this will pass, we're we're right 
in it and what does that mean for our communities what does that mean for our own personal health and how do we how do we forge ahead so uh join us back in uh in 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 180 seconds You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And I want to let you know that I have started a YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time, and you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Welcome back, stewards. Welcome back, Florida. Welcome to a priest and a rabbi, although today it is two rabbis kind of discussing over the pond challenges and issues affecting our communities and how we as um, we as clergy are able or hopefully should be able 
uh, to try and find some solace and some comfort in these difficult times. So with me, I have uh, Rabbi Debbie Young Summers, who joins us uh, out, of, out of England, out of London, uh, to join us this morning to kind of talk about her experiences and her passion um, and, and how we forge ahead. So um, Debbie, welcome again. Thank you. And as we, as, you know, just before we took break, we were, we were kind of looking and, and, and looking at exposing what was going on uh, over, over that, uh, those international waterways uh, to the island country of Britain and how that kind of manifests itself. And, uh, you know, looking at it from, from, from an international perspective, um, where are you guys right now? I mean, you know, uh, we've been on lockdown for a few months. Are you guys still on lockdown? As things, um, I mean, people are still using the language of lockdown, but I don't think technically we can say that we're in lockdown. In fact, compared to some parts of Europe, our lockdown was relatively easygoing. Um, we, if we, if we had symptoms or had been in contact with someone with COVID nineteen, then it was proper lockdown, and we did do that for a little bit. Um, proper lockdown being, you do not leave your house. You do not go anywhere you don't exercise you don't go to the shops you know we so when my husband and I and, and our two kids we isolated about 10 days before lockdown properly started um because we had coughs and we're not sure what we had but um we weren't that ill um but you know people would bring food to our door and do shopping for us which was amazing and our, our road all got to know each other in a way that we've never done before we all have now a whatsapp group to be in touch with each other um but uh 23rd of march i think it was our kind of national lockdown started which meant you could go out for essentials to the shop and only essential shops were allowed to open um and no one could see anyone um you know we had passover seder with our family on zoom my husband's orthodox and and that was quite a big deal for him to negotiate halachically um how we make that work but we did um and um you know for our kids it was a huge huge loss of not being able to go to school not see their friends mm -hmm. and that went on for about through two and a half three months um at the beginning of june two or three year groups from school were allowed to go back part-time um so us our, our youngest our son uh, went back to school four days a week um and then um the schools now are basically closed for the summer break and they go back at the beginning of september um there is some flights allowed to certain countries without quarantine um but most countries you have to quarantine two weeks when you get there two weeks when you get back so there's not much point in traveling and the and the rules are changing all the time um because the situation is so fluid so things were have been slowly easing up we can now book to go to certain places but there's limited space and da -da -da. you can go to restaurants but on the other certain circumstances um but just last night three major cities were put back into lockdown um because there's been a spike in cases um and there was a there there is a fear that part of that lockdown is due to trying to prevent families gathering for Eid, which is today um because three of those cities um have quite big Muslim population, two of the three cities have quite big Muslim populations. Um, and I think the Muslim community is feeling very hurt that, you know, if they were going to try to do that, give them more notice, don't do it as you're starting your festivities. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like having the, the turkey in the oven on Christmas Eve and being told that the next day you can't see all your family. Mm -hmm. um, 
So it has been very painful. We've all had Passover, Easter, Eid, Ramadan, everything in lockdown. Um, and and what does that what does that what, what does that mean for congregational life? I mean, are you guys congregating? Are you just doing services via social mediums? So um, through the lockdown, um, the Orthodox synagogues stopped. They, there was nothing, um, and our the progressive synagogues of which we're one um, continued through the whole lot to continue to offer every service that we normally would and in fact we've created some new services so we've just done everything online um which for me actually personally was quite strange because I'm I'm a weird little cookie of a reform rabbi and I'm quite traditional in my Shabbat observance so I haven't been on a computer for 17 years in on Shabbat and suddenly I'm I'm leading services um but it's it's been okay and um so we we do one service on a live stream where you can watch and see the rabbi and the hazan and the choir leader all in their own homes leading the service and the bar about mitzvah family join us on the zoom call and then we have a, a an end of service kiddush where we share food and wine obviously we're not sharing it but everyone can come into the zoom call at that point and we get split into little breakout rooms to chat to people which is really nice mm. um, but we also started my colleague rabbi emily german started um a facebook live service called shabbat babayat which means sabbath at home um and it's basically um one of us singing through some of the service chatting a lot talking about the portion of the week and we'll interact with people via the facebook chat mm. um, or comments we've just started doing that on zoom and streaming it through to, to facebook so that people can join in in person mm. um, just experimenting with what formats work best for bringing us together um, now that lockdown has been eased slightly there are you know places of worship are allowed to open and are allowed to have worshipers in with limitations so some of our local orthodox synagogues although not all of them have been having tickets booked for the services so they started off um, I think they're allowing maybe depending on the space they have up to about 50 people um, I know one of our local synagogues started off the first week they had 50 second week they had 50 the third week they had 40 40 the next week they had 30 and this week they're down to 20 people requesting tickets you know we yeah. thought there'd be huge demand but actually when people come because of the restrictions you're not allowed to sing you're not allowed to join in you can't sit near anybody it's actually quite an unsatisfying spiritual experience to be part of yeah. um so people actually aren't taking it up in the droves that were imagined we as a community are staying online for now um because it feels safer and it feels more respectful to give everyone the same opportunities um in the next few weeks probably towards uh, september we're going to start having the bar and bat mitzvah families come into the synagogue um and socially distance we will organize having their ceremony in the building but not with their family not with their extended friends um they'll still all be on zoom um and is this is this something debbie that you that, that, that the congregation and the community has always implored in terms of having streaming capabilities before, or is this just COVID came, it's mm -hmm. here, we have to access social media to 
really so we were we were streaming before although i think we were probably one of the the last communities to get get in that game most of the progressive communities have been streaming for a good number of years now but the streaming we were offering was more or less and this isn't true for everyone but certainly in most of our congregations the streaming would be a camera at the back of the the uh, synagogue you'd get a sort of broad picture of the bima of the pulpit and you know you didn't feel it was a, a very much a second best experience mm. um with what we're doing now with zoom i think gives a much more intimate experience and i think it's been a really good piece of learning about accessibility and about making it an experience that people can really engage with and mm. I think we're going to take some of those lessons forward with us out of COVID-19 because people who felt really really isolated from the community for many years can now access it in new ways now the inverse is also true there are definitely people who don't feel that an online service does anything for them and they haven't been engaging with services um, and I really my heart goes out to them I think it's really hard to lose that part of your life um and we're trying how to do you, how do you as a rabbi Debbie how do you as a rabbi in in your community address and and speak about those issues for those who say you know rabbi I can socially distance why can't the temple be open you know we can socially distance we can we can we can you know respect the rules of the community and our government and everything else why can't we open so it's really difficult and, and there have definitely been those voices and I really feel for them. I think what we've done as a community is we've had a, a big community wide forum. We had nearly 100 people join us on a, an online forum to discuss what we wanted to do. So it wasn't just a few people calling the shots. We really listened to each other. Um, and actually it was a very, very respectful conversation. It was very impressive. People with very different views, able to listen to each other. Um, and um, I think where we're going as a community is that the rabbis are going to continue what we've been doing but we are going to move back into the sanctuary because we've at the moment been doing it all from home because in lockdown we weren't allowed out um we are now allowed into the sanctuary and it's just doing that safely um and we did have a uh, we were thinking about ways that we could have up to 50 people in our sanctuary but that would mean that our choir leader didn't feel able to sing, um, didn't want to put anyone at risk by singing. Um, and she's that, that voice is a really important voice. So um, what we're doing instead is we're going to have a second minion running potentially in a different space. We're very lucky as a community that we have a very big campus. So um, our youth centre is going to become a lay-led Shabbat service um, where there'll be 30-ish people allowed. Um, and it will allow for those people who really want a something um, to come together. But, you know, we, we really want to make sure that no one is putting themselves in danger. One of the challenges that we have is um, those people who are, are really wanting to come in are quite often the more vulnerable parts of our community, the elderly. And um, we want to make sure that we protect as many people as possible. We, and we actually lost um, my predecessor um, to COVID-19. So we're very aware of what can happen when this happens. Wow. Wow. And I, I assume that means that in, in, in 50 some odd short days, when we hit, uh, when we hit the high holidays, we hit Rosh Hashanah, you guys will be virtual for high holidays? We will. We have put a lot in place for High Holy Days. Uh, we've invested in quite a lot of equipment so that we can film it at a better quality. Um, we're going to have three channels running at any one time. 
Um, one will be a kind of opportunity to be in the comfort of your own home, but experience what you would expect to experience if you came to your regular high holiday services at the synagogue. The second channel is a sort of, um, I'm trying to remember what we've called it, um, spirit and soul channel, which is um, opportunities to learn, opportunities for yoga, discussion groups, um, alternative services, um, more kind of musically different services, um, quite a range on that channel. And then there's a third channel, which is a Lador Vador channel from generation to generation, which mm. will have all of our family services, teens services, early years stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, with three rabbis on the team and um, with our lay leaders, we're going to sort of split ourselves between those various spaces. Um, and then on the afternoons of Rosh Hashanah, we're going to try and have three different times and spaces where congregants can come together for a ceremony that we call Tashlich, which is where you throw bread into the water to cast away your sins. Um, and because it's outside in a park at the moment, according to government rules, we're allowed to do that. Um, so we will kind of safely gather in parks to make sure that there's an opportunity to actually see each other um and to have a meaningful ritual but it's it's outside and it's safer and it will be much smaller no oh, wow so um and, you know debbie uh just 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 so that our listeners you know are aware obviously uh debbie throughout her work uh, not only congregational life but also institutional life uh debbie also teaches at uh, leo beck college in london uh kind of the premier rabbinical school that trains for progressive rabbis, uh, educators uh, around Europe, and um, well, I'd like to say around the world, as I, uh, <laughs> I, I am a graduate. Um, you know, is this something that the college has taken on as well in terms of, you know, when, I, when we were in rabbinical school, there were no classes on <laughs> uh, how, to, how, to, how to safely use technology in an impactful way, or, you know, how do we Zoom, or, you know, are, are, are those measures being looked at in terms of, you know, the face of the rabbinate today is not the face of the rabbinate five years ago, 10 years ago, uh, 20 years yeah, ago. I mean, the, the pace of change is unbelievable, really, when you think about it. Um, so the college has itself gone online. Um, and so we're all learning really quickly how to use much better online learning technology, Padlet and Canva and um, Wakelet and all these different great tools that are out there, other platforms are I'm sure available and um they you know so my my class will be run online next year um I don't think they're planning anything in person before January um but yes I think over time they have started to introduce um things looking at technology I think we also need to have a big piece around social media and how as clergy we think about and use social media um mm -hmm. Laura Jana Klausner who is the rabbi she's currently senior rabbi to reform Judaism she's kind of the the head of reform Judaism um as a, a figurehead um she's um sadly leaving that post in September October to take up a PhD in digital theology and oh, wow. I think you know she's so on the cusp of, of what we need um, and what's important right now. Um, thinking through how we use these online spaces productively. It, we see so much negativity on social media. How wonderful that we now have the opportunity to really think about using it positively. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and just to kind of switch gears a little bit in terms of looking at, looking at you know, British culture and society in terms of you know, race relations. I mean, has that been, obviously, obviously you've seen what's going on in, in the United States over the last few months, 
uh, certainly with uh, with George Floyd's death and everything else that's been going on. You know, we have a huge, huge, we have much work to do to uh, bring communities together and really see each other. Uh, you know, I, I, and, and I'm, I'm sorry that Christian, uh, Father Anderson is not here because he would say the phrase because he's perfected it now over two years of panim al panim. You know, to be able to see people face to face, to to really see somebody's soul. Um, you know, is is has has Britain experienced much the same over the last little while, or has you know the Black Lives Matter movement uh, impacted Britain and made Britain aware and opened their eyes to some of you know some of some of the nation's suffering and 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 hardships. Absolutely. It definitely has impacted. We've had um, mass protests, as as you have in the States, I think slightly different um, in their nature. And I mean, I think that the histories are entwined, but also different. I, I had the privilege of being in Atlanta last November and um, went uh, on a tour of the um, the Museum of Civil Rights and Human Rights. And I was so deeply impacted by that visit it was astonishing I, you know growing up in the UK we have an understanding of the civil rights movement and American history and but we don't really study it um I remember I had a, a boyfriend at Stanford University when I was a teenager and I was shocked to discover he was learning about the Bayer Tapestry at university which mm. we learn when we're six but of course it's our history it's not American history so you know our, our educations are very slanted and in the UK our education hasn't traditionally looked at our own role in the slave trade looked at the UK's role in um you know, colonization of African countries yeah. and what that meant. Um, and we, you know, there's there's been a rumbling for many years about all of these issues. Um, I think one of the, the iconic moments of our Black Lives Matters protests has been the toppling of uh, a statue in the city of Bristol. And there was a very controversial, or it had recently become more controversial statue um, of a man who was a great philanthropist, gave lots of money to the city, um, but had made all that money as a slave trader. Mm. Um, and, you know, those conversations are happening more and more around the UK. And Oxford College has for many years had a statue of, of uh, Rhodes that had become very controversial. They've now agreed to take it down. Um, and I think those conversations are very real. Statues are really important, but I'm actually much more impassioned about how we make sure that people's lives now are improved um, mm -hmm. and that we are able to have really good, meaningful conversations about this. So um, one of the things we did in our community was to have a, a Torah breakfast with our bar and bat mitzvah families. Um, and we invited um, a couple of um, families within the community um, who have black members to speak to the Barmetsa family about what it's been like in the UK generally but also in our community and to hear about the racism they have suffered um, and I think it's really important that we know this is about our own behavior too and that we can all do better this isn't just about trying to change something else this is about changing ourselves too mm. um, but I think I mean it's so please, interesting to please hear. God this has been an amazing moment of shift I hope we don't just have protests that then we return to where we were well to nothing yeah you know it's just so interesting to to, to also hear and i hope our listeners appreciate is is you know britain's role within the slave trade i mean you know when, when you look at those ships that went over 
um, uh, you know, say from Senegal in, in West Africa, you know, there, 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 there's a docking ship, uh, you know, there's an area that they were transported before they came over to the United States. Um, and, and Britain's role, were they complicit? Were they, you know? Oh, massively. Absolutely. And the way and, and that they packed these ships was absolutely inhumane. Um, you know, the and if someone died or was sick, they, they just got chucked over and anyone who was chained to them was pulled down with them. Um, and it was an absolutely appalling part of British history. Um, but, but nonetheless, it's still British history. And, 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 and I guess it is is now with these with these international movements or or a national conversation has that. Has that opened up others' eyes to, well, let's look at, albeit our history, not a, a fantastic one, but, you know, this part of our history still is is something we need to explore. And yeah, absolutely. To and I think in some ways, I think we actually learn a lot from how um, America has done some of this stuff. Um, there's an amazing uh, organization that I think is much, much bigger in the States, but you'll correct me if you haven't heard of them, Facing History in Ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, did you know about them? Yep, very well. So Facing History in Ourselves, I did a training with them in the UK probably 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Um, and there were maybe 20, 25 of us. And that was from the UK, Europe and South Africa. Um, and they're still fairly small over here, but their curriculum resources and their way of looking at history as a, a way of helping to change us and to help us understand how we stand up and don't be bystanders is so important and so powerful. Um, you know, our education system is not just about producing workers who can do maths and write English well. It has to be about producing good citizens who are going to build a great society. And mm -hmm. so these things are really important. Oh, wow. Wow. Unbelievable. And, and, and you know, in, in your community, um, you know, have you experienced any, any resistance from, you know, a social justice perspective or when you preach of values and ethics that 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 somebody might say well you know rabbi we don't really have a race issue here uh mm -hmm. it's not present in our community you know why are you talking about this we have other issues we we need to support israel we need to you know uh, come together as a community you know have you have you experienced any pushback in any way so I've only been with the congregation since April, so I probably don't have enough uh, experience, but I will say one of my first, it might even have been my first sermon in the congregation, I think it was, was the week of George Floyd's murder. And there was nothing else I could speak about. I had to speak about Black Lives Matter. And I was, I was terrified. I, I was very, very nervous about giving my sermon. Um, because I did, you know, I've been <laughs> online. I haven't met the congregation in person properly yet. Um, it's it's a scary thing to do to take something arguably political, although, you know, really it's just human rights. Um, but actually it was very, very well received. And um, I, I, I tried to quote as many black and black and Jewish voices as possible. I, I ran it past um, a, a blogger who I wanted to quote and she was so moved that she, you know, just a black woman who'd written on a parenting page. Um, and she shared it with all her family. And, and um, so I think I got it all right there, but um, I have definitely heard racism in the community and challenged it. Um, but only, you know, it's, it's fairly on the edge stuff, but I think, 
we we do have to be aware there have definitely been every lives matters type conversations um, and people needing to understand that black lives matter doesn't mean no other lives matter um, but it means that this is the issue right now and so it's I think that's quite an interesting comparable for that in the Jewish community which is we've had over the last few years an ongoing um, sort of sense of frustration with the British Labour Party um, who you know and this is also quite controversial but for many in the Jewish community there was a sense that there was a an a very clear anti-semitism from the leadership of the party um or certainly a permissibility around that anti-semitism um and one of the things that Jeremy Corbyn who was the leader of the party kept saying was anti-semitism and all forms of racism and the Jewish community would get really upset by that it was like you know this is about anti-semitism just stick with the anti-semitism why do you have to keep making this about everything else when the problem is this Mm. and I think when Jews say all lives matter I kind of want to say to them anti-semitism and all forms of racism it's the same thing like let's Mm. name our pain and be with those in pain when we need to. That's the house that's on fire. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I know from our end too, I mean, it's a very difficult conversation. Um, you know, when people, when people kind of question that and say, you, you know, put, put aside the political understandings of, of, of the movements and everything else and how they're funded, but, but the message is clear. Look, Black Lives Matter. And if we can't say that all Black Lives Matter, I don't think that we're able to say all lives matter. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, and I do recognize the juxtaposition of both of those terms, uh, uh, they're, they're both very uh, vastly different. But at the same time, if I can't recognize that for those of minority or those uh, who in the past have had great, great, great challenges and great suffering amongst them, um, you know, we're not able to confront our own and we're not able to really recognize uh, you know, the humanity in every single person. Um, and I think that humanity is is really a key part of it. You know, going going to the the Center for Civil Rights in Atlanta was really an immersive museum experience. They really helped me understand not just to hear the history, but to experience it and to um, to really engage with the pain that it is impossible for. And I'm talking as an outsider, but there's no way American society can have healed from these decades of pain and violence. Mm. Um, This is going to take generations and it's going to take hard work. And that's true around the world for so many things. Mm, Absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, I know we are running out of a little bit of time, but I think it's that healing uh, piece that I think is so, uh, uh, is so integral and is so important today. You know, I was talking with one of my kids yesterday and, and, and my oldest, uh, she's nine had said, you know, dad, when will I be able to hug my grandmother or my grandfather again? And, you know, this is something a year ago uh, we wouldn't even think about. Yeah. And my in-laws live, I mean, my, my in-laws live seven minutes away. Uh, yeah. You know, we see them often and we social distance and everything else. And a part of me says, you know, not only as a country, not only as a nation, not only as a world, but also as individuals, when and how are we best able to heal because we're a nation and a world that is fragmented, that is broken, that is very challenged um, from, as you know, from, you know, racism to anti-Semitism, which is on a rise to, you know, a, a worldwide pandemic where people are f- afraid uh, to even leave their homes now. Um, I mean, I know we're experiencing that with the surge in cases here down in Florida. I think we have just as many cases in Florida as 
the entire United Kingdom has, uh, if not more. You know, when will we see relief? But I guess, I guess, and, and I know we only have a couple minutes left, but, you know, um, Debbie, what would, you know, to, 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 to use an appropriate uh, radio phrase, what would be your thought for the day? You know, <laughs> if you were to give some, 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 some hope and some healing, what would, what would your final thought be? I think this sense that we are all in it together. We are all human. We only have the one world to share. And when we can hear each other and see each other's humanity and respect each other's humanity, that would help us tackle the pandemic quicker. That would help us with race relations, interfaith relations. Um, but to really understand that our difference is good and it's okay. Um, and underlying that is our common humanity. Well, thank you. Um, um, I, you know, we are running out of time, but I just want to thank, uh, with the bottom of my heart, uh, Rabbi Debbie Young Summers, um, out of out of the United Kingdom, out of Britain, who joined us this morning. Um, thank you for your insight, your perspective, and really giving us a, a bigger picture over the pond of what society and what the culture really is like. Um, so, from 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 a priest and a rabbi, we thank you wholeheartedly. Uh, everyone, be safe, be healthy, um, and let's engage.